0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: I'm going to ask you, if you will, to join me in the book of Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, we're going to read just a couple of verses uh, to begin with. But you can just leave your Bibles open there. And we'll be speaking about a few of these verses tonight. The book of Hebrews chapter 6. Book of Hebrews is a tremendous book. Amen. Amen. Full of so many promises, and I want to talk about a few of those here this evening. Book of Hebrews 6 and 1, the Bible says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. This we will do if God permit. If you drop down to the 19th verse, it's a familiar verse to many, the scripture says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And that's my subject tonight. I want to talk about the anchor of Of the soul, I'm very appreciative, thankful beyond words for the hope that the Spirit of God brings us. It sounds somewhat worn, a well-worn statement, but when I see people going through a crisis or when I face one myself, I just am am stricken with the idea of what do people do that don't know the Lord? Amen. Just what do people do that don't know the Lord? I wanna ask you a question tonight. Have you ever felt the prayers of the saints in your own life? Amen. Sustaining prayers. Yes. Amen, I, I, was, I was raised in church so I heard a lot of terms. I heard them with my ears before I comprehended them with my mind and experienced them in my own life. I grew up hearing the saints talking about feeling the prayers of the saints or being upheld or sustained by the prayers of the saints. Well, for many years of my life, I didn't know what that was, but if you go through enough things, you can feel the prayers of the saints. When you have peace in your heart, when everything around you says you shouldn't have peace, when you have hope in your life, when everything around you says all hope should be gone. Amen. I'm thankful for the anchor of the soul. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. Let's just make a journey together through the word of the Lord. I believe that the hope we have, of course, is not frail hope. Our hope is not based upon uh, leadership or government or economies. Our uh, minds and history teaches us well that uh, the the same things that rise can also fall. The same things that succeed can also fail. And uh, so we have to put our trust and our confidence in something that exceeds Anything that man could do with their own mind or heart. I think that our hope, that we, the hope that we have in the Lord, of course, I think it is first rooted in the principles of biblical doctrine and experience. And I'm, I'm thankful for the experiences that we all have in our lives. I'm thankful for biblical doctrine. I'm thankful for the hope that we find in the word of God but I'm also grateful for the things that have come to life in my life, that have played out. It's not just a scripture on a page, it's not just a journal in a book, but it is the power of God that has been at work, active in my life. And so as a result of that, that becomes the anchor of our soul. And uh, when, when we are in need of healing and you've ever been healed before, you pray differently, you pray with an assurance because you have an experience and you know that God is a healer can and will move. And so we let that anchor serve just as that. When the crew of a ship uh, finds itself endeavoring to remain stationary despite the currents of the sea beneath or the winds of the the sea above, the captain of that vessel or someone in charge is gonna command an order that they drop the anchor The anchor of that vessel is gonna be in in a direct connection to the size of that vessel. And uh, we think about a boat anchor in a fishing boat, that's one thing, but uh, it's always a proportionate anchor to the vessel that it is attached to. And so when we're in the throes of a storm, we can understand one thing, that whatever we toss over by way of the word of God to hold us It is sufficient for the day, and it is sufficient for the circumstance. When the anchor anchor of that ship reaches the ocean's floor, those prongs drag along until it catches on something that is greater than the power of that that's resisting it. And so no matter the dimensions of that ship, no matter the weight of that ship, and no matter the storm that it's facing, When it catches to something beneath it deeper than it, it will hold it and it will sustain it despite the storm. And we have been in those situations that it was a prevailing wind, but we cast our hope in the Lord and the spirit of God did prevail. Hope in the Lord and his word, I believe, is a true anchor of the soul and it keeps us from drifting into harm's way. It keeps us at times from losing our bearing. It protects our mind and our spirit the Word of God is an encouragement and it keeps us confident. I know tonight that I, or I realize that I am a minister of the gospel and preach and and uh, preach and teach the Word, and we're doing that tonight. And I don't want you to think that my passion for preaching is just as long as I'm holding the mic or that my belief in the Word of God is just when I'm standing behind the desk because I have been in those services on the other side of this podium when the word of God came to me and it was the anchor of my soul. It was peace in my mind at the moment and it did keep my spirit from drifting and it kept me encouraged and it kept me upright and it kept me confident. So the word is not just something that I deliver but the word is something that I receive and the word is not just something you share with others but the word of God is the anchor of your soul as well. And so to lose hope is to lose the hinge of the stability of life. We had uh, horrible, horrific news uh, that was brought to us just a few days ago since Sunday uh, that a dear friend of ours, an evangelist friend, you know well, Brother, Brother Mike Wilson and his wife, um, were traveling home uh, this past Sunday night after, um, after ministering in a church. And they were on a four-lane highway, a very dark stretch of road, And uh, they came up on a person that was dressed all in black, even with a hood over their head, in black. And just as they arrived, in front of, uh, just as they arrived at him, before they could act in any way, he took two very intentional steps in front of him, and they hit him and killed him. And so, uh, when they found out later what a tremendous and traumatic experience this was for them. But they found out later the next day, uh, the authorities uh, apprised them of a text that he had sent apparently somewhere just three or four minutes before this accident took place. That he posted on, on on his own social media page that by the time you read this, I am already gone and so when we think about the despair that must have been in someone's heart a a young man, a very young man so what, what brought him to that moment, what brought him to that season of his life and we think oh how desperate it must have been to have stood there and I don't say that judgmentally at all, I say that with a broken heart and a broken spirit, amen, to lose hope is to lose the hinge that is the stability of your thinking, your rationale and now his family And the Wilsons and and many, many others are affected traumatically, drastically affected by this accident. I ask you to pray for them, by the way, that God would continue to touch them. But when you lose hope, when you lose hope, you lose that hinge, you lose that anchor in your life. Before you can build anything of significance, you must first lay the foundation. There's got to be something to build on. But that foundation is critical. It must be sure. If the foundation crumbles, then the entire building, no matter what you build, is in danger of crumbling itself. So, therefore, anything that you build, in truth is only as stable as that that you set it on, that that you place it on. And so I will tell you tonight that it's no different with the church and it's no different than with our walk with God. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The scripture says with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Amen. And so I say, Lord, thank you that we're building. What we're doing here tonight is just laying another stone in the foundation, but it's not a wavering stone. What we're building is built on a wonderful foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Amen. When Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ is the answer and when he is at the head, everything is gonna be all right. We're not not speaking tonight in our text to abandon the foundation that we're talking about. We're not abandoning the foundation that, that has been laid. Hebrews 6, 1 and 3, our text this evening identifies several fundamental principles of doctrine that we are built on. They're foundational aspects of the church We're talking about repentance and faith and baptism and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. The writer of Hebrews capsulizes all of those things in those three verses, amen. But these are are not the only foundational doctrines of the church, I think it's important to understand that, but they are a sample of some fundamental principles that we all build our lives on. Because without them, the entire structure of the church would collapse. On the other hand, neither should the church just camp out at the foundation, and that be all that we talk about, or teach about, or preach about. The key is found in the fact that these are foundational principles that we continue to build upon. We don't just lay the foundation and try to lay another foundation and try to lay another foundation, not visiting again these things, not ignoring them, but not just building everything upon them. Amen, we've got to look at what the Spirit of God is commissioning us to build. I wanna look at a few things that I think is fundamental in making grace so crucial to our walk with God. When a person is born again, according to John 16 and 13, they receive an incredible spiritual enlightenment. And so the Holy Ghost is not just a tongue-talking experience. It's a wonderful thing. And I don't wanna minimize that and please don't take that uh, in any way out of context. But receiving the Holy Ghost is not just that one time emotional experience. When a man or a woman receives the infilling of the Spirit of God, John 16 and 13 says this, Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth is come, he, the Spirit, will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so when we, when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when we are spirit-filled, that's not just so that we can count another number. That's not so that we have something to boast of. The spirit of the Lord indwelling in us, amen, is the teacher, it is the instructor. I will tell you tonight with great confidence that I'm teaching and preaching to people this evening that, that the spirit of the Lord enlightened some things in your life. There were just changes that were, that were brought about in your life that nobody taught you. Nobody said you should do this or you should not do that, but the spirit of God just began to shine like a light and you begin to view life differently after receiving the Holy Ghost than you did prior to that. It's because the spirit of truth has come and the light has come on. The principles revealed in God's word, they take on a new meaning and and they do so as the spirit of truth shines on them more uh, more times than I can even remember in Bible study, sitting down with people I didn't just have to teach them every little nuance of the truth of God's word, but I've been teaching them a Bible study whenever they almost hijacked the Bible study because they said, I see, I see. It wasn't because they had some wonderful teacher expounding the word of God sitting across the table from them, but it was because the spirit of truth Started working in that situation, the Spirit of Truth began to reveal. Amen. The Spirit of Truth begins to shine. The natural man, which means fleshly or carnal man, can't perceive spiritual matters, and so you can't wish yourself spiritual. You can't wish yourself holy. You can't force yourself into some into line into alignment with the Word of God. We need the Spirit of God to help bring us in alignment with that. Amen. Because a person can only. Comprehend spiritual things with the help of the spirit. The writer also mentions that this spiritual experience involves what he refers to as tasting and partaking of of the heavenly gift, which is the Holy Ghost. He says, you've got to taste and you've got to partake of this heavenly gift. And so when a person repents of their sins and is baptized by immersion in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins, the Bible says that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean you automatically receive the Holy Ghost when you're baptized, but you are in a position to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. what an unexplainable and unbelievable sense of hope is born in the heart of a person when they receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul said that we abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost, Romans 15 and 13. He said we abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. We don't abound in hope through the power of the church just as an entity with people, I mean, or programs, but we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Ghost. We have tasted and we have experienced the good word of God. Hebrews six and five. God's word gives us that spiritual knowledge, and through His word, we have hope and peace for all eternity. Not hope for the day, not just hope for a moment, but we have hope. Amen. And so, when the Bible speaks of when the when you're reading the Scripture, and the Bible talks about tasting something, what the real what the Scripture really means there, it means to experience that. Or to understand it. So when you taste something, you experience it. You understand it. And there's, a, of course, a, a common thread there. We can relate to that in a very natural sense. Uh, there, there are some people that they say they don't like something. And you ask them, have they ever even tried it? And they say no. Maybe, maybe some of us are guilty with a, a few things about that. We, we just have in our mind that we don't like something. We've never even tasted it. And so when you taste something and experience it, I can tell you tonight that it's not just a fallacy. It's not just a figment of my imagination. But I really do not like liver and onions. In my heart, I can say that with a pure conscience. Because <laughs> I've tasted and I've experienced And I've even had people say, well, you don't like it because you've never had my grandmothers. But I've even had their grandmothers, and I still don't like it. Because there's something about tasting and seeing. There's something about tasting and experience. It's not a contrived opinion that we've stumbled upon, but it's to experience something. And I'm thankful that I've experienced the Holy Ghost And I I, I want to be careful because I'm referring a lot to that moment of receiving the Holy Ghost. I don't want to take anything away from that. I'm thankful that I experienced the Holy Ghost. And I'm thankful that I've received the Holy Ghost again and again. But I'm going to tell you, I'm thankful that I experienced it when I wasn't in church. When I needed him and I was all alone and I experienced, I tasted and I could see that the Lord is good Amen, and it's it's very frustrating sometimes when you uh, receive something, if you're trying to put something together and you don't have instructions or sometimes you don't have adequate instructions. It's, it can be very frustrating when you're trying to put something together and you don't really know how to do it. By the same token, it's, it can be frustrating when you're traveling in an unfamiliar area and uh, and you don't know how to get there and how what a consolation it is in the day that we live in. In those moments, today we depend on GPS, but uh, maps and things of that nature. But when we have those tools in our hand, whether it's a smartphone or a tablet or whatever it may be, uh, maybe just a paper uh, map, whatever your, your uh, your choice or your preference may be in that regard, the difference in our heart when we have that tool available to us and when we don't have that tool available to us. If you travel enough, it's a wonderful thing to have something that will get you there. And what a great consolation when you hear that you have arrived at your destination. (laughs) I've been told a few stories about that a couple times. I've just been in a blank lot when they said I arrived at my... destination but the Word of God has never abandoned me it's never taken me down a path that I don't need and so the Bible is that GPS for you and I the Word of God it is that that map to our final destination. And so knowing God's word gives me an assurance that we're on the right path. Through God's word, we have a profound sense of hope that we can and will make heaven our home. Beginning in the early church as recorded in the book of Acts and continuing even until this very day, Jesus Christ empowered the church with the power of the miraculous. The power of the Lord has always been, uh, it has always, there's always been an association with the miraculous. Amen. We see the hand of God, the word of God, the work of God, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt on and on through the wilderness journey. We see the hand of God, the miraculous things of God. The New Testament church was not born in a vacuum. It was not born on the backside of a, a hill somewhere, but it was born in the power of the miraculous. The spirit, the power of God in, in the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth, all the miracles, the signs, the miracles, and the wonders that followed the ministry of Jesus. Those are not not just locked up in the scripture, but there's miracles all among us tonight. Miracles of what God has done in our, not perceived miracles, not twisted miracles, not something that we just think so, hope so, we kind of could have spent on it but things that only God could have done. And so from the book of Acts until now, we see that the church has always observed innumerable miracles. And these miracles strengthen the faith that we have in the word of God and then the power of God. Now, the Lord doesn't have to perform a miracle every time we come together in in order for us to have confidence in him. But when the Lord does a miracle, when we do see the hand of God, only the hand of God that can have moved in a situation how that bolsters our faith and how that solidifies something in our heart, in our lives. Amen. So through the work and the miracles in the church, we are able to taste the power and experience the powers of the world to come again when a person is uh, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of someone that only has an argument so so somebody that's been healed you don't have to you don't have to have some big long drawn out argument with somebody that believes divine healing was for another generation or for just people in the word of god and it is not for us today if the lord has stepped into your life then you know what god has done when the Lord has made a way where there was no way, when he has given direction, when he has restored, when the Lord has given back the years the canker worm has eaten, when the Lord has given back things. We don't have to stand and argue with somebody that says that's not for us today because we not only know it's for the church today, but we've experienced it in our own life. Amen. Now, I believe that there are things that accompany the Holy Ghost. There's something that's gonna happen, and I believe that we can can and will observe fruit of salvation. I think there's certain things that we can uh, expect to accompany a genuine salvation experience. I, I don't believe that we are saved by works. I don't think that we're saved by works of righteousness, but I emphatically believe that there are works that are present in the life of a real child of God. There's gonna be some evidence that the spirit of the Lord is living in your life. Amen. Um, I believe that uh, I believe that a married man ought to act like a married man. A married lady ought to act like a married lady, whether they're with their companion or not. You may be a mile removed, you may be thousands of miles removed, but I believe there's something in our actions, in our voice, in our conversation that just portrays. Amen. I'm going to repeat him more than once tonight, but I I remember Brother J.H. Osborne years ago was teaching in a minister session. and He said to ministers, he said, you know, when you're out of town and your companion is not with you, he said, you ought to talk about her a lot. Just kind of go ahead and close that door. Amen. That's good advice. That's good advice because you ought to act that way. There ought to be something about that. There ought to be something about that experience. There ought to be something about that relationship that bears fruit. You don't have to put a sandwich sign on. Everybody know what a sandwich sign is? I may be dating myself with that. I don't know. You don't have to hold up some placard, but there ought to be something in our life that just portrays, by the same token, a child of God. I don't think that, that... that issues of holiness should be a drudgery that we should wear that with a downtrodden countenance like this is what I have to do or I'm gonna tell you that there's some things that we're bearing in our life fruit that we're bearing because we are a child I'm not doing it to be saved I'm doing that because I am saved. I'm not refraining from doing this to try to be saved or stay saved. I'm refraining from going there, doing that because I have a relationship with God. Amen. For one thing, I believe that we should expect there is an expectation of the fruit of the spirit in somebody's life that claims to be filled with the spirit. I'm not out here too far by myself, am I? amen, we expect apple trees to bear apples and orange tree to bear orange and and so we should expect a born again person to bear fruit of that spiritual experience there ought to be evident in somebody that says I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost we ought to be able to see things like love and joy and peace and long suffering and gentleness and goodness those ought to be some fruit that's just laying around There should be evidence of those things, other qualities that that accompany that kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. There ought to be things like commitment that follows somebody that says, I have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God's word teaches us that that we should possess those qualities and of course, many others. Galatians, on the other hand, chapter five, gives us a long list of things that shouldn't be evident in our lives. Things like adultery, fornication and uncleanness and lasciviousness and idolatry and witchcraft and Hatred and variance and, you know, I mean, Paul, he just goes on and on and on. Envyings and murders and drunkenness and revelings. And then he just kind of summarizes it and says, and such like. Anything that's even related to any of the above, those things should not be evident in our lives. Amen. The Bible says in Galatians 5.21, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty plain talk but that's really easily understood the th- people that have these issues in their life are those fruit in the, in these kind of fruit in their life shall not inherit the kingdom of God the godly values that are initiated in us by the spirit of God bring to us the power of hope amen i'm glad tonight to know that god is fair and god is just and there have been many, many times that I've had to rely on my knowledge that God is fair and God is just because what's before me doesn't make any sense. What I'm experiencing, I can't get the ends to come together. What I'm walking through just seems real difficult, but I have hope and I have this knowledge that God is fair and God is just, he is faithful to remember the sacrifices that we make, Malachi three sixteen. he says he records our conversations about him amen, he is faithful to remember the work that we do and, and Jesus said in Matthew 25 and 40 that when we do good to others he receives that as though we're doing good unto him, when did we not visit you or when did we do these things he said when you've done it to the least of these you have done it unto me and so when I realize that I'm not forgotten. And no matter what I do, whether it is in public or private, God has a record of that and he has a good account of what we've done. I know that God is fair. Amen. A person that's forgotten loses hope and and they lose that sense of self-worth. But I'm thankful to know that we have not been forgotten by the Lord. Amen. For example, God remembered the prayers And the offerings, the alms is what the scripture called the gifts that Cornelius had given. And the scripture says that his alms came up before him as a memorial. Uh, We don't know if the alms that Cornelius gave monetarily were great or small. But what they did, what we do know is that they came from the heart. And when it came from the heart, the Lord said that it came as a memorial. And so to reap the full value of what God has for us I believe that we must remain faithful and we must remain diligent. There's no room in the kingdom of God for people that are slothful. Amen. We need that we're heirs of the promise. I mean, we've got the power of God in us, amen. So we not we should not be slothful in those things. I want to quickly go to Hebrews six and thirteen. The Bible says when God made promise to Abraham, because he knew he could swear by no greater, he swore or swear he swear by himself, saying, "Surely." Blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. The God who is faithful stepped into a man's life, And said, because I could swear by no greater, I will swear by myself. Amen. I will swear by myself. And he promised to bless Abraham because Abraham was faithful and he was patient and he was enduring. He received the promise of God. Amen. So we have this biblical precedent that God is going to stand behind the promises that he made. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had God make me promises and go silent for years. Amen. But you just keep walking. And God brings that promise to pass. He will bless those that are faithful. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes in those long stretches of silence, I was very thankful that I kept walking because God wasn't playing, He wasn't toying with my emotions. He was absolutely serious when he made that promise. And so that hope becomes the anchor of the soul. I want us to consider quickly some characteristics. And I'll ask our musicians to come if they will. Uh, Characteristics of the hope that we have as the anchor of the soul. And I'll bring this in our closing remarks here. I believe that the hope that we have in the Lord is an enduring hope. It's not a frail hope. Again, as I mentioned in my opening comments, it's not a hope that is predicated upon maybe who may be uh, running our government or where we may be and where we may be overall in our economy and in our nation, our state or the world. I'm glad that our hope is the anchor of the soul built upon the word of God. Amen. Our hope in God is not a passing fantasy. Our hope in the Lord is not a fad, something that's here today and gone tomorrow. When a, a product has a long lifespan or a long life expectancy, we say of that that it's durable. I mentioned Brother Osborne a moment ago, but another quote that Brother Osborne has made many times through the years, he's, he has said that the hope of the word of God, he said that is an anvil that has wore out many a hammer. Amen. <laughs> the hope of the word of God is an anvil that's wore out of many a hammer. I'm thankful for the hope that just wouldn't be destroyed. It wouldn't be bent. It wouldn't move. It is secure in him. The odds when we think about Abraham and Sarah the odds seemed woefully stacked against Abraham and Sarah having a son in their old age but despite those overwhelming odds somehow Abraham pressed through that and continued to believe and by doing so he became what the Lord said he would become the father of many nations. I believe that we have to do everything within our power to cultivate hope because hope doesn't just happen and it's not automatic. In truth, I believe it's patience that cultivates hope. We just continue to press, press, press because Abraham was willing to patiently endure. He had the promises of God and I'm thankful that those promises are yay and amen. God chose to establish his promise on the strength of two things and that was his immutable counsel and his sacred oath I believe that God's counsel is indisputable we cannot argue the counsel of God it is absolute it is is dependable the oath was sacred and serious to the Hebrews so by virtue of these two extraordinary venues or vehicles God established his promise that nobody could deny nobody can change or even really nobody could challenge them God's purpose in extending that that dual promise uh, per, that dual power promise was that we might have what the scripture says in verse 18 a strong consolation. And I'm thankful for that. I'll ask you to stand if you will tonight. Hope is a great refuge. It's a place where we can find strength. It's a place where we can find protection. It's an element of our experience, it's something that holds us in raging storms of life. I don't say this to be uh, negative or cynical or to try to paint anybody's world gray. But I will tell you that, that life does have some raging storms. And sometimes, not because we're pompous or arrogant, but because we're human. We watch other people go through things and we think that's just things that happened at their address. That's things that happened in their family. Not because of sin, or not because of anything. We just think that's just something that happens over there. But I will tell you that we're not exempt from anything, and it can come blowing in our world. From years and years and years, through time, we've watched things break out in other countries, and we watch people wear masks and things of that nature when they're. And we we've thought for many many years. That happens over there. And then all of a sudden, it landed on our shores. And we're facing things that, in all honesty, not because we think we're too good, but we never thought we would experience some of the things that we've experienced in the last couple of years. It's all right to agree to that. It's not because we think we're better than anybody else But you just can assume those are things that happen somewhere else. And then one day, that report comes to your home. Amen. And we think, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. So we can get troubled by the uncertainties of life. But in the midst of that trouble, we can find comfort in the sense of hope that Hebrews 6:19 says, which is a hope we have as the anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast." Rose Fitzgerald Kennedy, the mother of several people we recognize their names, was applauded by the world because of the grace with which she bore as a mother and a matriarch, unprecedented, unprecedented sorrow. She experienced many things in her life, and of course, because of who she was, those things that she experienced didn't play out in a private world, but it played out very, very publicly for the entire world to see. Shortly before she died, she was asked in an interview, she said, what is your take when you think about the world in which your grandchildren and great-grandchildren will live in? And then to that question she replied, she said, I hope that they will have the strength to bear the inevitable difficulties and disappointments and griefs of life. She said, I I hope that they will bear them with dignity and without self-pity. Knowing that tragedies befall everyone and that although one may seem singled out for special sorrows, worse things have happened many times to others in the world. Finally, she said, I hope they understand that it's not tears but its determination that make pain possible amen that make pain bearable rather it is not tears but determination that make pain bearable spoken from a woman who was qualified to speak on the subject i'm thankful for the hope that i have